You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Hi guys, I'm Jen. Happy Mother's Day. I'm a mom and a stepmom. And sometimes I'm a stand-in mom for my students. And I have a really amazing mom. I hope she's here today. Or will be. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I also have a grandma and an amazing mother-in-law. And I have, I think she's here today, too. Although I can, oh, hi. Uh, I have a lot of friends and family who are moms, too. And some of them are just moms to fur babies. Any fur baby moms in the room? Yes. They, <laughs> happy Mother's Day. And I also have some friends and families who are not moms at all. But they put up with all the momness that exists in my own life. They are really nice to me when I have to give them a ride. My car is filthy, like trashed. Um, And they're really, they accept that I don't usually happy hour or travel alone or use big words on a regular basis. And they're all right when I tell them no to everything. They ask me, can you? And I'm like, no, I can't. John has practice or game or Elijah has a show or something. They're cool with that. And today is really, really important to me, right, obviously. I special requested those mariachis outside because it's my day, guys. I like mariachis. It's the day that we celebrate all the mom stuff. Not just mom, but all the other people in our lives who do the mom stuff. Because like Jake was saying earlier, dads do mom stuff too sometimes. And so do all the other people that you call mom or aunt, or uncle, or tío, or tía, and they're not even related to you. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) So happy Mother's Day to all of them, too. (laughs) Because the truth is that all the parenting we do, in whatever capacity it is, it's very God-like. In fact, parenting is the most used metaphor in the entire Bible. We say things like, God the Father, Abba Father. The Lord's Prayer starts with, Our Father who art in heaven. Matthew 23, 9 says, Call no man your father on earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Hey, but did y'all know that God's described doing mom stuff too? Did y'all know that? Deuteronomy 32, 18 describes a God who gives birth. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, You forgot the God who gave you birth. And Isaiah 66, 13 describes God as a comforting mother. God said, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Hosea 11, 3 and 4 describes God as a mom as well. I was like them to to those who lift infants to their cheeks and bend down and fed them. See, in different situations at different times, God is both our mother and our father. And sometimes days like Mother's Day or Father's Day are hard because we're missing our mothers and fathers. Because they're gone now or because they were never really there to begin with. But here's the thing. Galatians 4 or 5 says this. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the rights of sons. See, he made a promise to us to treat us like sons and daughters. He's the ultimate parent. Our series this month is Peace and the Promise. And last week, 
we learn that there's purpose in God's promise. And just like Samuel, when we listen to God, he shares our purpose with us and we find peace. But do you know what else we find? We find power. What do we find? Power. Power. Come on, guys. It's power. Say it like you mean it. We find power. That's today's big idea. There's power in the promise. And power is one of those words we can get really excited about. Didn't it feel good saying it? Say it again. Doesn't that feel good? Didn't you feel good during praise and worship today? Could you feel the power? When we want it and we have it, we feel confident and we feel secure. So here's what best-selling author Stephen Covey says about power. Power is the capacity to act, the strength and courage to accomplish something. And at the low end of the power continuum, we see people who are essentially powerless, insecure, products of what happens to them. And at the high end of the continuum, we see people with vision and discipline, whose lives are functional products of the personal decisions rather than external conditions. So here's my question to you today. Which one do you, would you rather be? Powered or powerless? A product of what happens to you or a person with vision and discipline? I think that I know what God's preference is for us. And I think that I know it because I know what I want for my own children. More than anything, I want my kids to know that they're loved and that they can be and do anything they want to be and do. I want them to be empowered by my love and my protection for them. So here's our big idea again. There's power in the promise. And God's promise to treat us like sons and daughters allows us to operate in his power. So I hope you had some time this week to read through the book of Exodus because that's where most of our talk today is coming from. But if you're like me, reading through the Old Testament can get kind of tricky. It's not always that exciting. And I have to have like a running movie going through my mind imagining what this is really talking about, right? Well, I've been a teacher most of my adult life, so I'm going to give you some reading strategies, okay? One of them is called Making Connections. And any time that you're reading and you make a connection to what you, something you already know, we teach our kids in school to do this. So everybody do this. That's a sign. That's a sign. I'm making a connection right now. So as you're reading or listening and you are thinking of something else that you can connect to, I really do expect for all of you to tell me the sign because it encourages me and I know that you're listening and I'm not just standing up here talking to the wall. So making connections, okay? The other one is a sign for I gotcha. And it's like this, not like this. This is different. Don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. This one is closer to your heart, thumb and pinky, and you kind of go out like this. And that kind of means like, I gotcha. I know exactly what you're saying. So if you can do this when I say something that you resonate with, like, yeah, I'm on the same page, that'll help me too. I won't be nervous or scared if you do that. So. Back to our story. As I was reading through Exodus and I was reading about Miriam, I was making connections. Because I could relate. I could relate to the story. Miriam, to me, she's what I would call a lady of situations. In fact, I made this connection between Miriam and this lady. Do y'all know her? (laughs) If you don't, you can Google it later. The short version is, this is Martha Stewart. And she was Little Miss Perfect, the queen of all things homemaking in 1990s. 
She was the standard for American households, and she exemplified anything that was proper and pretty until she went to prison. Yep, Princess Perfect, she did some real shady business, okay? She's a multimillionaire, but she acted on some insider information to save herself from losing $45,000. So she got indicted, and she was convicted of fraud and obstruction of justice. But don't worry, y'all. She cool now, yo. She got mad street cred. She's back on TV with her good friend Snoop Dogg. <laughs> and they make recipes together, and they talk about life, and she's publicly accepted again. And all that Martha's mess is a thing of the past. She went from being a master businesswoman to being a convict to the cool old lady with Snoop Dogg. Why did that happen? I, I, I don't know. But maybe it has something to do with the power that she's got access to. Maybe it's because she didn't let that situation define her. And this is kind of like what happened to Moses' sister. Before we get into the story about Miriam, there's three things you should know about her. Number one, she lived a long and complicated life. When we read about Miriam in Exodus, she is not a young lady. She's actually up in her 80s. Number two, her brother, her little brother, Moses, he wrote the, five books of the, Bi- the first five books of the Bible. And three, her name is a derivative of Mary and is often given the definition of bitter and jealous. So she definitely fits the model in my head of a lady of situations. And I first heard that term in a poem I read written by T.S. Eliot called The Wasteland. And in the poem, the writer describes somebody going to see a tarot card reader, and the tarot card reader hands him a tarot card called Belladonna, the Lady of the Rocks, the Lady of Situations. And that kind of resonated with me because I thought, oh, I'm a lady of situations. Half of them I create. Um, So I researched that commentary. I read the commentary on that line in the poem, and I learned that Belladonna actually means beautiful lady, So I liked that part. Then I discovered Belladonna is another name for a deadly plant called nightshade. (laughs) The Lady on the Rocks reference is referring to a Renaissance painting called the Madonna on the Rocks. And the juxtaposition of those images leads you to believe that the author was implying that, given the situation, ladies can be dangerous or beautiful. Anybody feel me? So I imagine that this would be Miriam's Loteria card if she lived here in San Antonio. (laughs) So here's here's kind of why. In the early chapters of Exodus, Miriam is this wise child. And we meet her during a very difficult time for her Hebrew people. For years, the Hebrews had lived in Egypt and everything was peaceful. And their leaders, Jacob and Joseph, they were known by the pharaohs. But when Jacob and Joseph and their generations died, a new pharaoh came to rule, and the new pharaoh didn't know any leaders. And this new pharaoh was really intimidated by the growth of the Hebrew nation, so he, he wrote a law. And his law said that in order to control the population, all of the newborn baby boys would need to be, Hebrew baby boys would need to be drowned in the Nile River. Miriam actually saved her own brother's life from the pharaoh's edict. Her mother gave birth to a son, And for a while, their family was able to hide that son. But when it became too difficult to hide, Miriam's uh, mother put 
the baby in a basket and sent him afloat down the river. And she told Miriam, go and watch after your brother. So Miriam did. Well, Miriam watched that basket float down the river right into the hands of the Pharaoh's daughter. The Pharaoh's daughter found the basket, fell in love with the baby, picked the baby up, and Miriam, being a really quick thinker, she went and approached the Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, I bet you need a nursemaid for that baby. Do you want me to go back and find you someone who can nurse your baby? So the princess had no idea that Miriam was going to go and get their mother to come and nurse the baby Moses. But Miriam paid attention. She was smart and she was brave. She listened and she was protective, like a mom. Miriam saved the guy that wrote the first five books of the Bible. She saved the guy that led the Hebrew people out of Egypt years later. She actually saved their redeemer. She should have made headlines. Do you know any moms like that? But see, Miriam's baby brother, Moses, he was called by God at the foot of a burning bush. God called him to lead the enslaved Hebrews out of Egypt and then write God's words down. Exodus 3:16 says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you. I've seen what's been done to you in Egypt. And I have a promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt and into the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Exodus 34, 27 says, the Lord said to Moses, write these words down, because it is on the basis of these words that I'm making a covenant with you and with Israel. You see, God made a promise, a promise of deliverance, a promise of blessing, a new world for the people of Israel, and it was ushered in by Moses. Moses spoke to the Pharaoh. Moses prayed on behalf of the people. Moses parted the Red Sea. The first five books of the Bible were commonly called the books of Moses. I mean, Moses was a really important guy. And there's promise in the power, there's power in the promise that Moses ushered in. But Miriam was the instrument that delivered that promise. She was right there with Moses. And by the middle of Exodus, she's not just a wise child anymore. She's Miriam the shepherd. She's out of the spotlight, doing the work, caring for the women of her tribe, leading them in worship. Exodus 15, 20 says, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a trimble in her hand, and all the women followed her with trembles and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. She knew that God was faithful to his promises and that his promises were powerful. She had watched him throw the horse and the driver into the Red Sea. She was a caretaker and she inspired others to pray and worship. The Bible called her a prophet and she's listed in Micah as one of the leaders of Israel. Micah 6.4 says, For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Miriam was getting stuff done, taking care of things, checking stuff off the list. I like that feeling. And she was experiencing success, sustainable influence, and meaningful work. She led her people through the desert right up to the promised land until she had a Martha Stewart moment. Have you ever had one of those moments? 
a moment when you just kind of lose your mind. Maybe it's a moment of overconfidence or judgmental, rude behavior. Those are the moments that Stephen Covey says are restraining forces. They restrain the power we might have or the power we might be given because pride and pretense creeps in and we start making appearances or playing roles or mastering manipulative techniques. Covey says when we examine anger, hatred, envy, jealousy, pride, prejudice, or any negative emotion or passion, we often discover that at the root lies our desire to be accepted by, approved of, or esteemed by others. And that's exactly what happened to Miriam. Miriam got a little bit too secure in her abilities. She got a little judgy. Actually, she criticized Moses' choice in a wife. Y'all ever criticized your in-laws? I have not. I love you, Ma. I have not. But I see some people. Y'all know you've been there. Miriam questioned God's specific call on Moses' life. And she talked her brother Aaron into supporting her and her views. Sisters are really great at finding an ally in a sibling rivalry. Trust me, I know that too. I think her exact words sounded like, what, God can only talk to Moses? And Aaron was like, right? (laughs) Maybe those weren't the exact words. Here's what Numbers says. Numbers 12 says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Y'all know they were in trouble, right? (laughs) Just real quick, I want you to think of a time when you or you and your siblings did something you knew you were not supposed to do. Thank you. (laughs) And your parents were either standing right there or they found out about it like that. You got that moment in your head? I'm going to tell you a little story about my sons, okay? They conspire to drive me crazy all of the time. They look like really cute, sweet children. But one day, I'm sitting at work, and I get a call from Carlos. It sounds like this. Jen, don't freak out. Everybody's okay. (laughs) That is not a good way to start any conversation. Not cool. Jonathan, the younger one, was standing on our bed, and he had taken every pillow he could find and stacked it behind him. So he stood there, and he's like, Elijah, push me as hard as you can. I just want to see what happens. So Elijah, in his wise, older, brotherly love, did exactly that. He pushed Jonathan as hard as he possibly could. And John, John was fine, but the wall behind him was not okay. So those fools had to go to the bank and withdraw money from their savings account and pay for the repair to the wall that they had just busted through because we're not raising a bunch of dummies. What are you thinking? And just like John and Elijah, Miriam and Aaron got in trouble too. Miriam, because she was the ringleader in the rebellion, she was struck with leprosy and she was sent away from the tribe. She had now become Miriam the leper. Miriam went from being a wise savior, a leader, a prophet, to being a leper. She went from hearing from God to being cursed by God. 
It was harsh, but it was deserved. And she couldn't even try to get out of it because God was right there. It's like the boys, Carlos was home. They weren't even by themselves. He was in the next room. Like, come on, guys. So you would think that Moses would be totally okay with Miriam's punishment. It was his own brother and sister that criticized his choices and his authority and his unique relationship with God. So you'd think he'd gloat and be all like, I told y'all I was the favorite. At least that's how I'd go with my brother. I don't know if he's here, so I'm scanning the room. Um, But no, Moses prayed on Miriam's behalf, and he asked God to heal her and restore her to the tribe. Moses extended grace to Miriam, the lady of situations, and God heard his prayers. And after seven days, he healed her, and he restored her to the tribe. And Miriam had become Miriam, the forgiven. And just like Moses, the Lord extends grace and forgiveness to us so that we can stay in his promise. Even in our successes, we're tested. And through the power of God's promise to us, failure isn't condemnation. The boys didn't stop being our sons because they broke the wall. And we didn't stop loving them because they were foolish. But they did get in trouble. We're sometimes chastised because we actually have a good father. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And fatherly love and motherly love, that's what we crave, isn't it? That feeling of belonging, the feeling of comfort and protection, the lessons we've learned, the promise of acceptance, there's power in that. What's our big idea, guys? There's power in the promise. Miriam had access to that power because she was a daughter of the Lord. We respect our earthly parents' loving discipline because we know it's for our own good. We know it's for our own advancement. We know it's for our own well-being. How much more does our heavenly Father want that for us? Let's listen to what our senior, one of our senior pastors' personal story about finding power in Christ and peace in his promises. Talk about when God came into the picture in your life. Oh my gosh, how can I, I, I will never forget that moment, never. It is, it is embedded in my, in my soul, the night that I met Christ. And it happened to be in the living room of my home. And uh, God literally had to knock out everything from under me for me to be in a position to be ready to accept him for who he was. And the young woman that I called, I say young woman, we were at the same age at the time, but she worked with me. And she's one that stood out because she was different. She didn't share a whole lot, but it was how she behaved. And while I was not exactly a real nice person back then, (laughs) she still cared about me and reached out and tried to help me in ways that she could. And that just amazed me that somebody would do that. In fact, I found out later she would go to the bathroom and cry because I would be so mean to her. And that her husband encouraged her to quit. And that she told her husband, no, I can't, because I know that God's doing the work in her life. So when the night came, I called her and she showed up at my doorstep and she came in and she was the first person that I had ever shared the things that had ever been done to me that had brought about pain. She was also the first person that I had ever shared with 
when I confessed everything that I had ever done to hurt other people. And at that moment in time, she looked at me and she said, well, you know, Yolanda, all you need is Jesus. And I said, who's Jesus? And she began to explain to me and she pulled out her little card. I found out later she was a little Baptist girl, had that little card that they pray, right? She said, can, can I pray this prayer and you pray after me? I said, yes. So she prayed that prayer and I repeated after her. And I can't explain this, but I know this from personal experience. It was like a weight was lifted from me. And it's the first time in my life that I felt clean. Maybe it was like Miriam with her leprosy when she stumbled. And then when God healed her, never the same again, never the same. The walk along the way, head speed bumps. But here I am today, all these years later, I didn't leave. And I follow him for this main reason. I know that he loves me. What more can you do for somebody that loves you that much but to follow? So what do we learn from all these ladies of situations? Well, number one, that we have access to the power of God's promises because we're his sons and daughters. So there's a couple of practical things we want to reinforce with you this month. And the first one is to just ask God to speak to you. And then the second thing is listen. Listen for God's voice in your life. And then make a promise to yourself and keep it. There's power in that too. And maybe that promise looks like getting up early and starting the day with a, a quick God time. Or maybe it means opening the Bible app that you downloaded last week or reading through a book in the Bible. Between now and next Sunday, Ezra would be a great place for you to start. Trust in the promise that God's given you. That's the most important part of our sermon today. You, you are a son or daughter of Christ, even if you never knew it before, even if you just didn't believe it before, even if you haven't felt like it or you don't think you deserve it, even if you've lived a life of situations. In fact, in every situation, you have access to God's great power through his promise to you. God gave us Miriam's story to remind us that his promises are good, his promises are powerful. Now, I'm not saying you're gonna go hang out with Snoop Dogg later today, okay? But I am saying that your situation, whatever it may be today, it doesn't define you. And I know this firsthand. Carlos and I, we've both lost a grandmother very recently, the matriarch of our families, right? And in those moments, it can feel like we've lost some of our power because they're strong and they were the brave and they are the wise, and now they're gone. But here's the thing. Our power, their power, it still can get accessed because we have a greater promise in Christ. In every single season and situation, we have the power to be restored. So I wanna pray with you guys now. Lord, thank you for every single day that has led up to this day, even the hard ones. And thank you for every day that's gonna follow. Thank you for the promise you've made to those that went before us 
and for the promise of sonship that you've given to each one of us today. There's no love greater than your love for us. Forgive us for stepping outside of your will. Forgive us for hindering your power with pride or pretense. Restore us. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive the power that lies in your promise. And remind us that no matter the situation or season, no matter what situation that we've created or we find ourselves in, nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you for your blessings, and on this day especially, thank you for the blessings of our mothers. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.